before we get started with the podcast, I want to tell you something I'm really pumped about this fall. So many leaders are struggling. We understand. We feel challenged as a team. Churches feel challenged. Nonprofits feel squeezed. Businesses don't know how they're going to recover. And if that's you, I want to invite you to be encouraged alongside of us at the Healthy Leaders Summit, October 5th through 8th. We want to speak directly into the challenges you're feeling right now. It's hard to get healthy and stay healthy in this season, but we want to help you. This isn't just one more online conference. This is an online experience. We believe you'll be encouraged. You'll be equipped. We have some incredible thought leaders, authors, speakers, pastors, business leaders coming to you like Mark Batterson, Sam Collier, Jenny Katrin, Pete Scazzaro, Katie Cole, the Hottie Lewis. We're also going to hear from Jimmy Miato from Compassion International about the succession plan, why it is working so well. Guys, fascinating conversations with some incredible people. You do not want to miss this. Here's what's cool is you get to watch this from home or you could watch this in the boardroom. You could watch this with your team, with a friend, with somebody else or completely by yourself. We want to encourage you to set aside a day on the 5th through the 8th, maybe two days, maybe all four days as kind of a study leave, as kind of a break to be refilled after the September push. Guys, we know you're tired and we want to encourage you to block off this time on the calendar, to dedicate these few days to be refilled in your leadership, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You do not want to miss this. For as little as five bucks, you can attend. So go to healthyleaderssummit.com. The registration is live. It is live right now. So go get this, share this with a friend. We can't wait. We will see you at the Healthy Leaders Summit, October 5th through 8th. We are pumped. Hannah Granowski, thanks so much for coming by the summit. It's an honor. I'm so excited to be here. Well, congrats on your book, Generation Distinct. And I know you've been pushing hard in the organization for a long time. It's just one more expression of of what God's doing in your life. That's huge. Thank you. Yes, it feels huge. It feels like a huge monumental moment. It's it's kind of wild that it happened. It's it's that day that you've been looking forward to for so long, over two years for myself. And so it's definitely this weird mixture of a sigh of relief and also, wow, okay, now what's next? You know, so it's exciting. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, can you just share your, your heart behind your generation? I mean, you've accomplished a lot at a young age. Why are you so driven to see your generation lit on fire for Jesus, sacrificing, serving, pushing against so many of the cultural norms today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for myself, You know, when I first started to really read the Bible, there's some stereotypes that you hear being the Christian kid that grows up in church. And there's some there's some ideas you have about who Jesus was and who the followers of Jesus were and all of that. And I I think I always just pictured that they were like these old men in like dark red robes who sat around and talked about boring things. I don't know. That's like my picture of the disciples like a while ago, right? And yet, and the more I started to get to know the story of Jesus, the more I started to study the context and the theology and the culture. And I began to understand that when Jesus came to earth, when he first came and he was walking around and he was beginning his his earthly ministry, and he was building that world-changing team that we now know as as the 12 disciples, the the individuals who would start the, the movement that we now call the local church, It just always blew my mind 
that he didn't go to the palace for the you know for the for the royalty. He didn't go to the temple to find the religious leaders. He didn't go and find the really impressively educated individuals. No, he went down to the shore and he called out to the kids in the fishery fishing boat and he said, "Hey, come follow me." And as I studied that and I realized again, these weren't these old men that that theology you know theologians actually believe that that Andrew is probably in his teens and Peter's in his young 20s, something shifted for me in that moment when I first heard that. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. The very first individuals that Jesus wanted on his world-changing team, not the leftovers, not because everyone else said no, but his first choice was two kids in a boat who barely were old enough to grow a beard. Like that blew my mind. And I just figured, wow, if if Jesus wanted to use the young leaders of that day to start the movement of the early church that is still around this day, then why can't he use the young leaders alive in our world at our time in this generation to start something equally as beautiful to, to continue to bring the local church even back to what it originally was. And so for me, I'm just saying like, where are the young leaders of today who, who can once again, stand up and understand that they can lead not tomorrow, not in 10 years, but right now. And so when I think about that, when I think of the potential of young, passionate people with, with big dreams and naive expectations sometimes, but if they can actually fall in love with the mission of Jesus, there's no telling what can happen, I believe, through the local church. So, so that's why I'm so excited about, about this generation and, and why I'm passionate about it. I love that. And I just, I love seeing you burn for that. And I know many young leaders across the country that yeah. say, I don't receive the stereotypes. I don't receive yeah. all of the things that everybody says about my generation. What about me? You know, will we just yeah. have a conversation? So I know that we need that. We need as well, those who are a bit down the road to see your generation lit on fire for Jesus. It's convicting. And the yeah. God has always used the young to bring the old back in. And I believe is always use the older, right? To temper and, and to come together. So it's beautiful to watch that. Talk about 2023. I know right now you are pushing hard into yes. a campaign to say, let's do this now. Tell us about what you're dreaming about. Yes. So a while back, my team and I were dreaming about what's next for Generation Distinct because we're about three years into this vision that we call Generation Distinct. It's a nonprofit. I started about three years ago. And so we've really been in the building phase and we've been building this four-step strategy that equips young leaders to discover the wrong they were born to make right and experience who Jesus really is. So all in all, it lasts about a year and it's an all entirely online program that we focus on 18 to 30 year olds really walking into the purpose God has, God has designed them for. And so as we're getting towards the end of that building phase, we started to dream and say, what's next? Like, what would God want us to do now that we have the structure in place? And honestly, it wasn't this glamorous moment. It wasn't that I was on top of a mountain and God spoke to me. I mean, we were in the midst of quarantine. So it really looked a lot like me on my couch at home, dreaming and, and picturing, asking God, what do you have that's next? And I just felt like he gave me these words, 2023 in 2023. And as I started to do the numbers and do the math and figure out what this would all look like, I recognized that the vision that I was sensing from God was that we were supposed to reach 2,023 young leaders by the end of 2023. And it's not just that we're going to reach them, but we actually want to equip them 
with a strategy for how they were uniquely born to change the world. And what gets my team and I so excited is that that doesn't mean it's just 2023. It's not just the 2023 young leaders. That is 2020 leaders, 23 leaders who will have a strategy for how they will uniquely change their, their communities, their towns, their states, their countries, their world, right? Like this is a multiplied vision, but starts with 2023 young leaders. And so it's really exciting. Um, my staff is entirely volunteer right now. And so we've built a lot with an incredible, stellar, world-class volunteer team. Um, but we're in a big fundraiser right now to scale this organization, to bring them all onto staff, to really see this become a reality. And it's been exciting to see God show up, for, for things to start coming in, for the team to begin to to grow in that way and to scale. And it, it's it's a really exciting big God-sized dream, but we just think that's the best kind of dream to go after. Mm. And when you say equipped, can you describe the ways you believe, let's say leaders in their 20s especially, need to be equipped in order to Mm -hmm. live out not only a beautiful vision, but a strategy for what God has uniquely designed them for? Yes, absolutely. Here's what I know um, about young leaders, because again, I am a young leader. I'm 25 years old myself, and so it's fun. I get to create you know, tools and strategies for my own peers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also build this with a collaboration of over 40 leaders from the globe who've helped us, who are way more experienced than we are to build what we've built today. And, and what I've really, really learned is that this generation, especially, they're, they're pretty well educated on how the world works, meaning they have had access to so many parts of the world with just their phone, right? Like they can watch what's going on in Thailand. They can figure out what's going on in Africa. They know what's happening in Canada and Mexico. Like people can be really aware of what's happening in the world. And so what's unique is that this generation is fairly aware of what's going on in the world. And because of that, they are incredibly motivated to not just sit on the sidelines, but to actually get up and do Something and something I see churches making mistakes on a lot is that so often they try and reach young adults by just creating really fun environments for them. They say, like "Grown hey, up come youth to a group, essentially. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, come to a pizza party, come to a, a bonfire, a movie night, and and those things are fine. But what young leaders are really looking for when I talk to my peers, when I look at the, the young women that I mentored and disciple who are seniors in high school, when I talk to the people slightly older than myself, they don't just want to go to another party. Like they can do that with their school friends. They can do that with their work friends. They are looking to change the world. They see the realities of what's happening in the world and they're fed up. They're, they're mad at the injustice. They're, they're grieved at the pain and the suffering and they want to know what they can do about it. And I believe the churches, the ministries, the organizations that are killing it and engaging the next generation are the ones that don't baby them, that don't say tomorrow, that don't say, oh, just come and have fun. That are saying, hey, you're right. This is up to you. And we're going to give you the tools to actually do something about it. Mm, That's good. All right. Activism. Talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses of a generation that is, for lack of better words, woke or one, at least waking up. digging into hard problems, like you say, wanting to change the world. Here's this massive thing. I've seen it on my phone. I'm engaged in it in relationship. What are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of that activism within that generation? I think in some ways, the strength and the weakness combines into one reality. And that is that everybody thinks they're an activist. 
And again, in one hand, that's awesome. We should all understand that it is our call as followers of Jesus to stand up for the oppressed, to speak up for the widow, to care for the orphan in their distress. That is following Jesus 100%. We should care about activism. And at the same time, it can really weaken what it actually means to be an activist. And suddenly an entire generation feels like they're an activist just because they they posted a black square on Blackout Tuesday, right? They, They feel like they're an activist because they shared something on Facebook or because they liked that tweet that seemed controversial, right? And and the reality is, is that, like, this might be shocking to people, but that's not activism. It's just not because activism has the word active, action in it. And action means we actually have to go out and do something. The threat of this generation's um, definition of activism being just when you share is that we we talk really, really big and we do very little. And I was recently sitting down with some mentors of, of mine and I said, hey, you know, as a as a white leader right now in our in our in our world and, and their their pastors and, and people of color, I said, hey, how can I be a really great ally to you and, and to our friends in this season? And they looked at me and they said, Hannah, you know, it, it's good to post on social media, like you should keep doing that. And you know, it's good to talk about that. You should just keep doing that. But the really important work is when you're sitting in your family room at a family holiday and, and a racist comment comes up or or it's when you're in the board meeting and, and the racist comment comes up or it's when you're in the coffee shop and you hear a stereotype, you know, perpetuated, whatever that is. It's like in the real life moments, that's when it really yeah. matters. And that's, I believe, the same in every area of activism. It's in the real life moments. It's when it's not just what you post about homelessness. It's how do you treat the homeless man on your street corner? It's not just what you say on Instagram about the refugee crisis. It's about, do you know any refugees who live in your area, right? Like with every conversation, it's not just about what you share on social media. It's about how you actually live. So the beauty is we all think we're activists, which is awesome. But if you really want to be an activist, don't just do it on your phone. That should just be the tip of the iceberg. What should really be the root of your activism is how you live in your everyday life. Mm, That's good. So how can those, let's, let's say 35 plus, how can those who are watching, listening 35 plus a few miles at at least on the engine, help to equip and empower your generation? Get really specific with us, Hannah. Yes. Yes. Okay. I believe that what we need to see in our world is we need to see older leaders really investing in the next generation of leaders. And again, not just throwing them parties, not just treating them to a cup of coffee and making them feel really special. Because let's be honest, and this is coming from somebody who is 25, I believe the American church has catered too much to the next generation, so much so that we're beginning to feel like the heroes of the church. Everyone wants us in their church because we make them cooler, we make them trendier, we, we wear cool things and we make their graphics for their social media look better, right? No, but the, the church has kind of communicated to us that we're the heroes and they cater to us and they make us feel so special and they throw us parties and they take us out for coffee so we feel special. That's fine for introduction, but we need some leaders in our life who are willing to call us out who are willing to give us the hard realities, who are willing to say, you're not really all that impressive, right? Who are willing to see us not as some impressive young leader on a podcast, but who are willing to just sit across a table from us and say what needs to be said. Um, I have a mentor in my life who um, has been my mentor for five years. 
And again, when I started being mentored by her, I had no sort of platform. And I definitely, I mean, not that I'm impressive now, but I definitely wasn't impressive then. I was just a 20 year old with a lot of big dreams. And she chose to invite me into her life. That wasn't just on co- at, at coffee shops. She would say, hey, I'm really busy this week. She's a pastor. She's a mom. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's incredible. But she would say, hey, I have a few minutes and I'm going grocery shopping. Do you want to come with me? And we can talk while I'm getting my groceries. And I love that because it taught me I'm not her main priority, but she's inviting me into her life. And I get to see the way that she talks to her son when he's misbehaving. I get to see the way she's spending money. And then she's teaching me theology and she's telling me how to be a better communicator and author and pastor. And so there's the both and, but I would say leaders invest in the next generation, but don't make it all about them. They don't need anyone else telling them they're the heroes of our world. They need some people who are going to give them the hard truth and really challenge them in their leadership. That's good. What are, what are some hungers or longings that you believe leaders, particularly in their twenties have right now? Mm. We are longing for leaders who will give us opportunity, I believe. When I look at my generation in a broad, um, kind of like a in a broad way, we want leaders who are going to give us the reins. Um, not, not because they're just doing it blindly, but I think so many older leaders are so protective of their ministries. And, and I don't know if it's because they think they're going to lose them or they're aging out or they're afraid, but whatever it is, when I, I was recently on a panel um, in Atlanta with some of my friends and we were speaking on young leaders and my friend Luke Lazan said, we just want somebody to trust us. Like we just want somebody to give us opportunity. And I was like, yes, and amen. You know, and my story is kind of the opposite in that I was really given opportunity way before I really was qualified for it. I had an amazing pastor, you know, John Peacock, Mm -hmm. who when I was 18 years old, I joined his staff at Mission Church. And I was up on stage giving announcements to the main service when I was like 18 years old, getting to speak. I was leading a team of 40 volunteers when I was 19. Like I was being, being given so much opportunity. And now I'm where I am today because someone gave me an opportunity because they saw my potential and they gave me opportunity to try and fail and try and fail. And so again, like don't, don't leaders, you don't have to give opportunity to everybody, but if you see potential in a young leader, give them opportunity to lead because they, if they're called to leadership, they're not just going to magically become good when they turn 30 years old. No, they need opportunity to try their hand at it. And so if you're an older leader, give opportunity away, give leadership away, open up your ministry for the next generation of leaders. Yes, yes, yes. How did you see um, this crazy year that is 2020 and uh, COVID and yeah. even quarantine affect mm-hmm. uh, leaders in their 20s, maybe some of your peers, solid mm-hmm. kingdom leaders? How, how's that affecting leaders that you know? I think it's interesting how it's affected young leaders specifically because, and again, every every age group has been affected different, right? Kids in schools and get to do their sports and, and grandparents and it gets to their grandbabies. For our generation, I feel like a lot of us are in this building phase of our life, right? We're in our 20s, early 30s. So we're building our careers. We're building our ministries. We're building our influence. And all of a sudden, we were like put on pause in so many ways. I mean, speaking engagements were canceled and, you know, flights were delayed and um, even like careers were thrown off and people who were about to get hired on didn't get hired and people lost their job. And so a lot of things just kind of, pause. I was talking with a friend over the weekend. And I, I said, like, 
it almost feels that we just lost six months of the momentum that we were building in some ways, right? Um, But then in other ways, I see that people were really creative in those moments and they had to be, you know, innovative and they had to make new things. And I got to launch a ton of new things that I wouldn't have been able to launch if I would have been out speaking and traveling. And so I I think um, there is a reality to know that the young leaders in your life, there, there is some grieving that they had to they had to experience. I mean, I had friends who had to cancel weddings, who had to cancel, you know, so many big life events who had babies and their family couldn't be there when they had it. And so this whole season of us taking all these big life advancements, there was a grieving that we had to experience in the things that we lost, the things that we, that couldn't be a reality. And so if you're leading young leaders, just be aware, like, yeah, you might think, oh, they're the healthy ones. They're fine. They're young. They'll, they'll bounce back. There was a grieving that we had to experience in this season but if they're anything like me, now that we're starting to transition a little bit back to reality, we have so much passion to just build something better, to build something new. We've been like cooped up and squat, like squished down and we're ready. And so again, if you're a lean young leaders, be compassionate to the fact that they did probably lose out on some stuff over the past six months that really mattered to us. Um, but at the same time, really asking those questions of, okay, what are you dreaming about for what's next though? And how can I support you in that? And I think that's, what's going to breathe life into this generation to, to kind of step back into that place of leadership. Kind of back to, you know, you're talking about selectivism versus activism earlier, or just, you know, a post, a tweet. Um, What are a few ways that you see younger leaders really pushing into activism right now in this moment? I mean, there have to be some new and fresh opportunities this year. What do you see, Hannah? Honestly, I think the best ways that I've been seeing it are the individuals who are truly doing it and they're not, no one knows about it. Like it's the friends that I know who are showing up at people's doorsteps because they heard they just lost their job after COVID and they're sitting there for three hours talking to that person through, through a screen door and they're caring for that person um, who's a single mom, right? Or, or it's the person who literally had to call out at a family gathering and somebody said a racist comment and they had to speak in front of their entire family and say, Hey, I need you to know that was a racist comment. Right. Or, or it's the moments when, you know, like one thing I did at the very beginning and this wasn't like, Oh, look at me. You know, this is what I did at the beginning, but like, I just started calling, you know, food pantries. I said, what do you need? And how can I help? And how can I run errands for neighbors? And, and it was the little things. And I think what's special about that is that's so not normal for young leaders. We're, we're honestly really bad at doing things that aren't on social media. Like we just are, we think everything needs to be captured and we don't get credit if it's not on there. And so I've been noticing that it's really, truly when we're, when we're doing things and don't care whether or not it's being captured, um, that is actually changing, changing things. Um, and and I'll, I'll speak to my team specifically. So my staff that I, I lead, we have 10 people on our staff and um, they're all in their 20s or, or early 30s. And so they are young leaders. They're, they're incredible. And what I've watched them do is they have invested themselves so deeply into, for example, this vision of Generation Instinct with very little recognition. And I thought during COVID, they would kind of shrink back. I thought they would be kind of, you know, more distant because some of them had to like go to different places around the country. We were more remote than we used to. I thought there would be this apathy that sat in, honestly. 
But what I realized is that there was this grit that set in where they started to just go and invest and want to have something to to live for almost. They wanted to have something to invest in. And so I think I'm seeing young, I actually think COVID is going to be really, really healthy for this generation because there was something about it that gave us a grit. There was something about us that, that sobered us up a little bit that made it not quite as easy or glamorous to be in ministry that I think we needed. Um, and I think we'll mark what the future of the church looks like. Yeah, agreed. Beyond that grit, um, how do you hope that 2020 shapes your generation? Mm, yeah, I really, really hope that 2020 is a year that when we look back and, and we we tell our kids, we tell our grandkids about it, um, yeah, there's a little bit more of this um, this solemn awe of the the capacity for evil in people. Honestly, I think I I'm I'm an Enneagram Seven. I always see the best in people. I always see the beauty in the world. Right? I mean, we're we're just the best number. Let's be honest, Alan. Right? And so I, I can neither confirm nor deny this. <laughs> what will be our secret? Um, and so I, that's my tendency generally. And I think in many ways, our generation, we love, we love to celebrate the celebrities, the really beautiful people, the really successful people, the great people. But there was some, there was some um, reckoning, I think our generation had to do this year of saying, you know, when Kobe Bryant went down in that plane, that was humbling because we realized, wait, celebrities are humans too, right? And then, you know, COVID came and we realized, wait, we're not all as, as immune as we thought we were. We thought we were so successful and we could, we could control us and we could lead out of anything because we're these super, there's these superheroes, right? And, and then we saw, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey and then Ronna Taylor and then George Floyd and like all these, all these situations that happened and we realized, we recognize the, the evil in our world. And then even all of the things coming out with human trafficking and, there's just so much in our world right now that we're having to come to terms with. And I'm hoping that our generation has a little bit more of an honest picture of what's actually happening in our world. And we're letting it affect us and that we're letting it grieve us so that we can go out and be a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more culturally aware and actually have the information to make mm -hmm. us good activists instead of just blindly going into the world and claiming we understand something that we don't. Mm. I think we're understanding we don't know as much as we think we know, yeah. or we thought we did. Yeah, that's, that's so helpful. That's so on point. For me, um, I don't like naturally to lean into pain, <laughs> and yet in the role that I'm in, pain finds yeah. me, right? If you right. were a ministry right. leader watching this, listening to this, pain finds us like a magnet, right? People come yes. to us literally with problems. That's what leaders do. And, yes. uh, and I am learning that pain equals a loss and grieving that loss before it's ever going to equal true opportunity. And many times wow. I want to like hotwire that in the opportunity. Yes. And it is so grounding and hard and slow and sobering to actually do the work of grief before we get That's to, right. to, you know, push, push out of that. A mutual friend of ours, Grant Skelton, um, he actually came on um, and talk through this. And, and one of the phrases that I love here at this summit is he said, we can't innovate our way out of this. And I think many times yes. for us, we come to the end of ourselves and yes. I go, I, I tried all the tricks that I had. It turns right. out I can't solve a pandemic <laughs> and I can't get us out of that. And I can't naturally get my kids back to school. And here we right. go. So 
I, yep. I hear that in your voice as well. It's what a humbling year it's been for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last question, Hannah, I want to zoom out. So 10 yes. years from now, when you're going to be the ripe age of 35 at that, <laughs> I mean, 10 years from now, 2030, what do you want people to say about how you, Hannah Gronowski, lived and led through this year? Wow. I have this saying um, that um, my boyfriend Aaron and I always say to each other that at the end of our lives, we want to have a room full of people that say they love people like Jesus. And honestly, like 2020 has been a hard year in some ways, and it's not even just COVID. I mean, there's been just some attack that I feel has come my way. Anytime you release anything into the world that you feel like God has called you to release, you're going to get some attack. I mean, even as fresh as this week that we're in right now, it's been pretty fresh, the attack. Um, and, and I have, I've been clinging to that vision for my life that when people don't even deserve the love, when people aren't showing me love, when the world is dark and evil and scary, am I going to be somebody who is mean and hateful and bitter? Or am I going to be somebody who one day has a room full of people say they love people like Jesus? And it, Jesus didn't let people walk all over and that's not the kind of love he showed, but he showed a resilient love that always put others first and would lay himself down time and time, um, time after time for other people. So I think, man, if I could have somebody say that even in the midst of 2020, even in the midst of COVID, in the midst of attack and, and trauma and pain, that Hannah Gronowski loved people like Jesus, then I will say I lived that year well.